Welcome to the We Are Next podcast, advice and insight from all over the advertising industry to help you navigate your career with confidence. I'm Natalie Kim. I'm Michael Benjamin, the creative director of Anthem Branding in Boulder, Colorado. And thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Natalie, and welcome to episode 36. Just like that, it's April. I've been seeing so many tweets in the last couple of weeks from people just starting their last semester or quarter in college and looking ahead at graduation. And it's such a conflicting time because on one hand, you are so excited and looking forward to whatever is next, whether you have a plan or not. And on the other hand, you're thinking about the fact that it might be the last time you're in school with, you know, this certain group of people. And I guess if it's any comfort, I would say that, you know, the fact that us in school or college or, you know, the however 18 years that we're like in school, the fact that it's a finite time in our lives, I think is what makes it so precious and special. The fact that we carve out that time to learn. I think that's what makes it really special. If we were in kind of institutionalized education for our whole lives, it wouldn't stand out as this time in our life. So anyways, there's that. And also the fact that I think the most successful people have this spirit of like lifelong learning. So whether you're in a classroom or on a campus or in an office building or just walking down the street, there's there's all these opportunities to learn and and keeping that kind of hunger that you have as a student to just absorb things. And I think it can help make the real world not feel as different from being in school as you think. Our guest is Michael Benjamin, creative director at Anthem Branding, who comes to us from the world of visual branding and design. He shared his thoughts on designing for people who aren't you, personal branding tips from the class he teaches at CU Boulder, and talked about being a creative of color in a city not known for its diversity. Let's get to it. Enjoy. Michael, thank you for having me. We're here in the Anthem Branding offices. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> We're inside, but it's beautiful outside. You contacted me like end of last year. I feel like we were just discussing how long it's been since you initially reached out. I don't know how you originally saw We Are Next. Do you even remember? Oh gosh, well, I'm happy to be here, Natalie. Thanks for having me. I think I think I was just cruising online for advice to give some of my students at CU and came across your Twitter feed. Yeah, well, I'm glad you reached out. And then, you know, I was telling you I, I love doing these in person. Obviously, I get to, like, meet people face-to-face and see where they work. And um, so I finally we finally arranged a trip, and, and now I'm here. So I'm glad we're having this conversation in person. I wanted to start by talking about how you found your way into the industry. Can you talk about how you found design, advertising, and and made your way into your first roles? So I was a nerd in middle school and high school. I had uh, like an old Apple computer in my bedroom and I got an internship when I was 14 or 15 at a web development company. So I was just helping them make websites. And it was, it was then that I realized I, I, was, I always enjoyed art, but I definitely enjoyed graphic art and making art on the computer. And I think mostly just wanting to make art and design pieces for a business. So that first internship uh, led me to other work that I did just as a freelancer, which I can't believe people paid me money when I was like 16 years old to do design work. Uh, And after that, I went to Drexel University in Philadelphia, and so they had an internship program as part of the degree. So I got another position at a marketing firm, and after that, I moved to New York to kind of start my career. 
What do you think it was, if you could like think back to your, like, I guess, high school self, you said, you know, you can't believe people like paid you money to do this design, freelance design work. What do you think about you convinced them to, to give you these jobs and, and to pay you at such a young age? Well, today you have younger people, uh, I think you assume they're really good at social media, regardless of if they are or not. Yeah. So, you know, back then, um, you know, Photoshop and Illustrator and stuff, that was still kind of new. And so I, I think people just wanted to believe that a younger person would have a lot of ability in those programs. I was also just really, really interested in learning how to use those programs and, you know, do cool stuff with them. So I, I just think maybe a little bit of enthusiasm, you know, they saw I was like really wanted to work hard and probably even though I got paid, they got a lot of free work or cheap work out of me. Mm-hmm. And how did you start designing, I guess, like were you self-taught, you took classes, just kind of picked up on your own? <laughs> totally self-taught, uh, just kind of, like I said, being a nerd and sitting in my bedroom and trying to figure out how to do stuff on the computer. I remember for a lot of classes, uh, just in high school, I would, you know, design a layout for like a book report or something. Even even though I didn't have to, I probably spent more time on that than actually writing the report. Right. So that was kind of my start. Very precocious designer. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who might be unfamiliar, can you tell us a little bit about Anthem branding? Absolutely. Anthem branding is a really unique creative industry. So the company has been around for 11 years. Uh, we specialize in brand strategy and identity, uh, retail product packaging, and a lot of our work is done with uh, custom promotional products, uh, custom merchandise, custom accessories. So brands that are smaller, like a craft brewery out here, or larger, uh, like a regional or a national company, they'll come to us to make uh, products for either their internal teams or for them to sell at retail. Mm-hmm. And so what we do that's really different from most other design creative advertising agencies is we're really good at conceptualizing uh, ideas for these products and then producing them. So not just designing like a cool t-shirt or a hat or an event space or something like that, but then actually getting it made and having a lot of experience, you know, knowing how ideas translate from the computer into real life. Mm -hmm. So do you work with then like production partners to like get these different things made? I, I guess it depends on like the client and what they're actually asking for or do you guys do all of that in-house for sure like a lot of it is is done right here um, a lot of it is done uh, overseas if that's what we need in yeah. order to produce something or you know in Boulder and Colorado there's really really talented individual makers and mm-hmm. so we can contact them if we have like a custom request and we just need to get it done and no one else can do it we'll partner with basically anyone in order to get a job done and yeah make our clients happy. I love when shops, they either have the capabilities in-house or, you know, they they have the partners that they can leverage to actually, like, make all the cool things. I just feel like it's so, so satisfying to, like, actually see the things that you, like you said, that were on your computer screen, like, out there in the real world. Yeah, it's so rewarding as a, as a designer to create something and not just have it live on the computer which like if it's a website or social like that's awesome but then to go out and see someone wearing a t-shirt you designed a hat you designed just interacting with something you made or you know you go to someone's house and you find they have an object that you designed or created the graphics for Mm -hmm. i think that's that's the best feeling you can have as as a designer today do you see any patterns or trends in 
the types of things people are coming to you for. I'm sure, again, it's different. Every client comes to you with a, a different ask. But in terms of like, overall, I just had this like thought while you were talking about you know, the online space and like so much of what we do is digital, whereas before what we were making, maybe you see out in the real world, whether it is on TV or a billboard or, you know, bus <laughs> like out of home or something like that. And then kind of coming back to the space where experiential is getting really big mm-hmm. and um, like branded, everything is really big and, you know, where brands can actually play. I don't know. I was just interested in if there was any like there's been a huge spike in like t-shirts or fidget spinners or you know what I mean? Like, maybe not even that specifically, but any category of things that people, you see people coming to you for. I think we've only made a fidget spinner once, but I would like to do more of that. You know, fa- I would just say like modern fashion and trends really influence what our clients might come to us for yeah. as far as an idea. But then we like to consider ourselves as, you know, innovators and kind of pushing people to do new things, different things. So I would, I would say as far as merchandise and apparel, it's a lot of you know, what you just see out on, on Instagram and that kind of gains traction. Mm-hmm. As far as retail packaging and branding, it's interesting because I'm, I'm a graphic designer, so I look on, say, Pinterest or Dribbble for inspiration. And typically our clients, you know, they're not in that world. So for us, we're, again, trying to do something really different than what's already out there. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm sure you can bring so much more than, like, they have in their purview. Like, they probably think, like, my brand can go in A, B, and C places, and you're like, no, look at, like, X, Y, and Z, you know. And so I'm sure that's part of the value that you guys bring. How about uh, agency culture? What makes Anthem special, and what keeps you here? You've been here for a while now. Yeah, I've been here for 10 years, so that's a really long time. I haven't done anything for 10 years except live here in Boulder. That's the only other <laughs> thing. So for, for me, it's just being part of the growth of the company. When I started, there were five people, mm-hmm. and now we have over 30. So just seeing that change in, in the culture and just the way we do business and the environment has been really exciting, getting to move into different offices. But everyone here is really, really dedicated and really talented, and it's just nice to be surrounded by people who are all professionals and take their job seriously, but it's kind of a cliche. We also just try to have a lot of fun. So we we organize lots of events for our team so we get to hang out. Uh, The office space itself, the owners, Ted and Pete, put a lot of work into making sure it would be welcoming and inviting and and a good place to hang out because, you know, we have normal days and then we have really long days where we're here for way longer than anyone wants to be at work. But it's it's still a cool place with you know, cool people who are who are honestly interested in what we're doing from a creative perspective and really dedicated to doing a good job for the client. And that's just something awesome to be a part of. Yeah, imagine with the si- that size too, it really feels like a family. It came up in sim- a similar environment where it was like, yeah, just a handful of people and, and grew to maybe about that level. And it just feels, I don't know, there's something really special about that size, I think. For sure, it's like you know you know what's going on with everyone. Um, even if you're not working on all the same projects, which we're often not because we have a ton of different clients in a lot of different spaces, yeah. you kind of just figure out what's happening. You get to you get to see it or at least hear about it. Whereas at a bigger agency where I've worked before, like you know you have 200, 300 people, you really don't know what's what's going on a lot of the time, right. except for whatever you're doing. Right. Right. You mentioned working on brands' visual identities as some of the work that you do here. Can you talk at a very high level through the process of getting to a company's visual branding? What are some of the things that you take into consideration when you're when you're faced with a project like that? 
Sure. I think at a, at a high level, it's all about the strategy. It's all about what, what does the brand stand for? What do they believe in? And what are they promising their audience or community they're going to do? So I think when you look at a brand that way and that drives all of your decisions, it can help you kind of figure out how to design and who to design for. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a big part of our approach is, you know, not just making something cool or trendy, but trying to think really hard about who we're trying to talk to and for what reason and what that says about the brand. Mm -hmm. And then I find, you know, when you're looking at mood boards or thinking about the personality of a brand, it becomes a lot more clear as long as you refer back to that strategy and kind of stay authentic to what you decided at the start. Thinking about like an like in terms of visual design, and I'm not a designer clearly, but like what kind of design would be appealing to someone who's like 50 plus versus someone who's a millennial versus someone who's like Gen Z. That's so interesting to me to, to think that there would be, of course there would be these differences in that and how that would affect, you know, like what font you use or what colors you use mm -hmm. along with, like you said, the information about the brand's personality and what's authentic to them. But just like on a psychological level, yeah. you know, that someone who's like of another generation will look at something and, and have one reaction and then someone else have a completely different one it's a really interesting place to be because you're kind of removed from that audience member a lot of times mm -hmm. every once in a while there's a there's a client that comes along and I feel really strongly I am the demographic I am the audience yeah. but that's that's so rare we work with tons of action sports brands and craft breweries and like that was a world I was not familiar with at all before mm -hmm. coming out here from New York so trying to put myself in in that mindset was was a real challenge and there's always outliers. Everyone's an individual. So it's, it, I don't want to get into like painting with a broad stroke and having everything be the same, but it's, it's interesting from a psychological perspective and then to actually apply that to design and say, I'm going to use this typeface, not because I like it, but because I think this other person will. That's, that's kind of cool as a designer. That's, that's what I really enjoy. And I think it kind of makes you stretch. Like you have to do something different than what you would do just for yourself. Mm -hmm. And how do you sort of put yourself in the mindset of that other audience that is not you? Is it stuff that's put together by the strategist or do you yourself do something as a designer to, to sort of get in their heads about you know what they would like? You know, research, asking questions, whether that's uh, talking to our client about what they think and who they think their audience is mm -hmm. when when we have the time and the, the resources for it, actually going out and interviewing people is, is always really great. Um, I find that just a lot of times reading online, like social media kind of gets you into the heads of different people and shows you their perspective. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of ways we can do it. And sometimes, you know, that, that part of the process gets truncated and you don't have as much time to, sure. to figure that out. Yeah, it's like, what can you do? Well, how can you get to the best answer in the time that you do have? I think that's where like, well, especially like as, you know, in the strategy world, like that's where you really have to get creative mm -hmm. and, and, um, and like distill your insights down based on like what sometimes little information and time that you have. Totally. Luckily, we have we have two awesome brand strategists on our team that, that I get to work with on all of our branding projects. Yeah. So we kind of have that, I think, good level of collaboration where they come at it from one perspective, um, our clients telling us, you know, about their experience. Yeah. And then with my design background, I can kind of offer a different perspective and one that might be more visual or, you know, based sure. on aesthetics, but still trying to, you know, make sure that all revolves around 
the audience we're trying to speak to. Yeah. So you're a creative of color working in a city that's maybe not known for being super diverse. I wanted to hear what that experience has been like and what you would tell someone else in a similar position. I think that's bullshit. Who's saying Boulder's not diverse? I I don't know who's (laughs) telling these lies. Um, It's... It's an interesting scenario yeah. to, to be in, you know, for, for me, I've always, I've always felt like a little bit different from other people when it comes to something like race. Uh, when I was growing up in Philadelphia, I was the only mixed person. My dad's white and my mom's black. Mm-hmm. Um, in North Philadelphia and then moving to the suburbs, I was the only, one of the only non-white people there. Yeah. So, so in Boulder, it's definitely something that has gotten me you know, recognition that's nice and then comments that, that aren't as nice yeah. as well and sometimes well-meaning and sometimes not. Uh, I try not to let it get in the way of the work. You know, I feel like my job is to try to bring people together through visual communication and if I can do that, uh, I feel like I've had a successful day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you just kind of see as, as a person of color, you see a lot of things happening, you hear a lot of things that you don't agree with and, you, you know, if I can be something of a, not a trailblazer, but if someone hasn't seen a brown person before who lives in Boulder and yeah. they can see me and see that it's not, it's not scary and I'm contributing to society, I, I think that's a good thing. Maybe it's a pretty low bar, but yeah. that's where I'm at. Yeah. I think you make a really good point because, and my husband and I talk about this all the time because uh, we were talking about this before we started recording, but thinking about moving potentially outside of big, big cities major marketing areas like, you know, the major DMAs like New York or LA mm-hmm. uh, into cities that, um, you know, are smaller and oftentimes maybe don't, you know, carry the same level of diversity and how we would feel about that. And on one hand, it's like, well, in the moment you don't, you want to be surrounded by like a lot of different type of people. That's like what we're used to. And like, I found as I actually, as I get older, that I do notice more and more when I am the only like Asian person in in the room and stuff like that. Um, you know, I travel a lot, and there's sometimes where I'm like, oh wow, yeah, like I didn't notice it, but now I'm noticing it. And then you know, I feel a certain way, even if nothing happens, even just like from an optics perspective. There's that, but then there's also like, well, yeah, like what if we are those people who come in and be the people of color, you yeah. know, or a mixed race couple, which we are. You know what I mean? It's like. Um, maybe we should be that instead of just saying like, oh, that's not a place for us. Like we're just going to stay where like Mm -hmm. other people are. So I see both sides and like, I understand how people make decisions around that, but it's just, I don't know. It's very interesting. For sure. Like I didn't choose Boulder for any reason. I was on a road trip actually once moved to California and stopped here. (laughs) So didn't quite make it all the way. Yeah. So I had no preconceived notions, but when, when I told my mom I was moving out she was like, why do you want to live in Boulder? There's no black people there. What the hell are you thinking? Yeah. But I, I think, yeah, that shouldn't, that shouldn't hold anyone back from moving to a certain place. And I certainly would want to be a a positive example. Like you can, you know, if you, if you work hard and you're good at what you do, I think you can probably do just about anything and live wherever you want right right yeah because I, I just I can't help feeling like if there aren't people like you who do that or people like me eventually maybe <laughs> then you know then it's just the status quo remains and nothing changes you know you have these like hyper diverse major cities and mm-hmm. then these not as diverse you know like but still awesome like uh, smaller cities and it's I don't know it's, it would be a shame if that continued, you know, that cycle continued. For sure. I mean, I think um, 
what I would say to brown people are come to Boulder because I've done a lot of the hard work. I've been called urban a lot. I have people just touching my hair. Um, I have people asking me like what my heritage is all the time. So maybe in five years, like that won't be something people need to do. Yeah. You teach a class at CU Boulder, which you mentioned. Um, it's called Intermediate Design Concepts. And part of that involves creating personal branding um, with your students that can be applied to their resumes, cover letters, business cards, etc. So I wanted to know what a few things our listeners should keep in mind as they develop their own sort of visual identities. Oh boy, what a good question. I give, I give lots of real talk to my students because I get tons of resumes and you know yeah. personal branding materials when, when we're hiring and when we're not. So I would, I would say, uh, one, actually just working on it a lot. I find that a lot of people just kind of knock out a personal brand and then you can tell they didn't really iterate or kind of try to go deeper on it. Yeah. Um, as far as, as far as just things like layout, I, I think, you know, these pieces like a resume, a business card, a portfolio, they're meant to communicate and show your work. And I, I don't like it when they're overdone with design. I get a lot of resumes where it's like white on black uh, or it's horizontal and hard to read. The, the text is angled. Uh, I think all of that just kind of detracts yeah. and it shows me that the, maybe the designer didn't think about, well, who's going to be reading my resume? Mm -hmm. they, were, they were making it for themselves. Um, I would say my main resume pet peeve is when um, someone rates their skills. You know, they'll say they're like a 9 out of 10 at Illustrator and a Right. five out of ten at English or something like that and it's just a, a really negative view of their skills on the one hand because it's saying you're not very good at something Some things, yeah. yeah or if you're a nine out of ten at Illustrator I look at that I'm like no way Cause, <laughs> cause, like by who standards yeah you know? right yeah. it's like I've been using Illustrator for like 15 20 years yeah. and, and I'm probably a six out of ten oh, right, right, right. <laughs> those are all really good pieces of advice I mean I I share your advice on, on like the overdone resumes. I, I also get that question all the time, just in general. I mean, from designers and non-designers alike being mm -hmm. like, how creative should my resume be? And I remember, I don't know who told me this, but someone at like a much larger agency that I never worked at told me that some larger agencies will use like recruiting software that will do be like the first screen for like incoming resumes. Mm. So it'll like the, an AI or like a computer will scan through first and like look for certain keywords and just, you know, make an assessment and like, and it's like, if your resume is like crazy design, like it might not even be able to read it. And so you, you know, you get taken out of the game even before like a human has looked at it. That's obviously probably not like a huge percentage of, of the cases, but still like, I think it just illustrates this point that yeah, you're, you're, for me, like resume scannability is like everything. Mm -hmm, like someone sure. needs to like look at your resume and in like 10 to 15 seconds, like know, have a good idea of like the kind of candidate you are. Um, and I find it's a lot harder when there is kind of like a lot of design going on. Oh, absolutely. And what I, what I tell my students is, you know, I'm a creative director. So someone that they're sending their resume, their book to is, is going to be someone like me. But probably someone a little older than me, probably someone even busier than me with more yeah. going on. And so I tell them if, if I get a resume and in the first few seconds I, I don't understand what I'm looking at, I, I can't read it, I think this person needs, needs more work before they're a really great visual communicator. Mm -hmm. And I use my trash can as a folder, but I will delete 
Yeah. Anything I can't understand right away. Right. Is uh, I hope they're not one of your sponsors, but any Wix website. I, I don't I don't get down with that because it's just okay. they're always just tough to navigate and I don't think they look really nice yeah and that that to me is just an immediate red flag so I, I kind of just use these these tools I've developed because I've never hired someone before I worked at Anthem Branding so I, yeah. I learned on the job how to I think pretty quickly recognize is someone talented to some is someone is this someone I want to talk to some more? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have to use these these tools I've developed to make decisions really quickly because otherwise I'd be re- reading resumes all day, all night. Yeah. No, and unfortunately, no one has time for that. I wish, I wish that wasn't the case. I would love to get back to everyone and say, hey, here's what I thought. Here's, yeah. here's what you could work on. And I do that when, whenever someone asks. Yeah. But you can't do that all the time. Yeah. People are just so busy, even though like, it's so funny when like when we apply to something, whether it's to a job or you're like applying for an award or something like to you, that's like such a big thing and it's like all you're thinking about, but to them on the receiving end, it's like a tiny little like sliver of their day. And, and, you know, even though it is an important job to like go through resumes, it's Mm -hmm. usually like not the most important part of their day. So anything you can do to sort of, like you said, make it easier for them to digest and, and, and get through your materials. Because again, yeah, they're just looking at hundreds. For sure, yeah. As a, as a young designer, you know, I had like a really big case full of, um, you know, big boards with my work mocked up on them and I would take that over to places and, you know, sometimes have to put it on someone's desk. And, and that was a real learning scenario because trying to convince a busy creative director that uh, they should hire me when I have these big boards and they're busy in their office like that that doesn't work so I had to learn as a designer like all right I need a different way to present myself yeah you know even if it's just a different format for my portfolio yeah so I would I would just say to anyone who's you know a young designer and looking for different opportunities is not necessarily like go way outside of the norm and you know do some do something like I've had I've had someone give me um, a hand hand-drawn illustration of me and I didn't know who they were so that was terrifying I wouldn't recommend that because I was a little scary but I think anything you can do to make yourself stand out but to have communication be the first thing like how can you stand out with design to yeah. make a quick point about who you are that's that's gonna help someone else understand who you are and maybe be more interested in talking to you more or hiring you mm-hmm what do you think about personal branding for people who are non-designers? You know, whether they create it or they had a friend create it, do you think that's important or do you have any tips for anyone who is not a designer but wants to like put a little of their own like personal flair without getting too designing like we said? <laughs> I think I think if I think a personal brand is cool, you know, if you can find a way to represent yourself, like mm-hmm. that's what that's what everyone's trying to do uh, to some extent and you know if you're if you're someone like Prince you get a cool symbol and yeah. like a color that's all your own yeah. um, but I think for everyone else think about it like like a branding project mm-hmm. for uh, a company or a big organization is uh, what do you do that's special and uniquely valuable and what are you saying you're gonna give to people whether that's you know for your Instagram and you're gonna post beautiful pictures mm-hmm. if you're a writer whatever whatever you might be uh, I think there's a way that that can come through in a visual, you know, method. Yeah. Um, probably ask, I would say asking a designer is a good way to get started. You don't have to pay them. You don't have to have them do it. But I think just to, you know, ask, ask a, any type of designer, any type mm-hmm. of visual artist, you know, what do you think about this idea of who I am? How would you interpret that? Mm-hmm. 
I think that's a really easy way to just kind of get going and maybe put together something that's really special and speaks to who you are. Mm-hmm. I once had a student come to me and ask, they were looking for a second opinion on their stuff and they had this whole branding package. I think they had gone through a class where they were, um, like that was the whole class. It was like come up with your own uh, personal branding for your materials and, and how it plays out across your portfolio and your resume and stuff like that. And I had done like a review for some of the students there and they were saying that their professor had said that they should pay for like their name as a domain name, like to get the email, like, you know, your name versus just doing it from a Gmail account. And I was like, I mean, everything that I say on here or, you know, in the newsletter, or the guests say, obviously this is all just like grain of salt stuff. It's sure. just our personal opinions. But I was like, that, I don't think that's like, I think there's a limit in terms of, I guess, your brand and like how far you really need to take it. I have never looked at a resume and made any decision about someone based on like the email client that they were using. <laughs> I, I think I understand that point of, you know, you want to customize every every way that you communicate with someone and you want it to be special and look really pro. Yeah. I, I don't have any expectation that someone in getting out of school is going to, I mean, even have the, the money to, yeah. it's not that expensive, but it's money to pay for a custom domain. And then you're upkeeping it for like what the rest of your life. Yeah. Like. yeah I, I mean, I think, I, I think, uh, advice like that, it has a good basis, but maybe it's just not, it's a little bit misguided as far as what's realistic. Yeah. You know, the, can I say another pet peeve I have? Yeah, for, please. I, I think anytime someone's like, a younger designer just like a solo designer and they you know they have to say they're creative director and president and founder of the design company that's their name it's right. like who what are we trying to say about ourselves i think the the custom domain name is kind of like that like it's all right if you're just at gmail.com right <laughs> right yeah it's like putting your effort and time and money towards things that will actually matter to to the person on the receiving end um yeah, because it doesn't say anything about you. Well, yeah, and being real, like that's what that's what branding is supposed to be about. You yes. know, when it, when marketing and advertising gets into it, then then you're trying to put on a certain face or a facade or you know drive the conversation in a certain direction. Yeah. But the more real you can be with your branding, you know, the the more authentic. I I think that's what eventually resonates with people if you put the time to craft a, a unique message to them. Yeah, I love that because when you start, I mean. <laughs> Any sort of facade that you do put up, unless you do get through the door, once you start, it's like you're going to continue to be that person. Or like, wouldn't you want to just like feel like your real self, especially as a student coming out of school? It's like, yeah, you don't know everything and you are, you have so much to learn. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like that would be such a more just in terms of like comfort level place to be walking through the door versus like, oh my God, I sold myself as like this thing that I can do X, Y, Z. And like, I can kind of, <laughs> but like I need some work. And, and then to have people like discover that along the way, it's just, I think it's like you said, much a better way to go about it, to be upfront and, mm-hmm. and just be, obviously don't like undersell yourself or, you know, you want to obviously put your best foot forward, but being realistic about, yeah, like who you are and, and what you can and cannot do. And I think that self-awareness is, says like way more than like any concrete skills that you may or may not have or that you could learn on the job which we all do to a certain extent that self-awareness of like yeah this is where I am these are where I think my skills are Mm -hmm. what I'm strong at where I suck you know what I mean like and is this the right place for me to to grow from there sounds really stressful to go about it any other way Uh, maybe maybe some maybe like a similar story would be uh, I gave my students an assignment to create a monogram and a personal visual identity for themselves 
And one of the students asked me, like, can we see your monogram and personal logo? And I said, I don't have one. I, I kind of think they're bullshit. I've never designed a logo or like a monogram for myself. But I, th I said, I think it's a really good design exercise. But, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't even do this on your resume. Like, why are you spending time on a on a personal monogram? Right. Considering everyone has the same 26 letters to choose from for their <laughs> initials in America. It's like not I don't think it's I don't think that's a really worthwhile uh sort of presentation of your design skills. I think there's there's other stuff that's mm -hmm. way more important mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to, you know, putting your skills out there on a resume or a cover letter or whatever. I think just showing that you can communicate clearly and that you value the person on the other end who's yeah. reading your stuff, that, that speaks a lot. Yeah, I love that. You worked in New York City earlier in your career, you mentioned yes. that before making your move out to Boulder. And we talked about Boulder a little bit, but I wanted to know about the Boulder agency scene. You know, obviously you've worked here for 10 years. Can you tell me what it's like to work in advertising in Boulder? And then I have a follow up to that, but I'll let you answer that first. <laughs> so it's it's really friendly in, in New York. Uh, it, was, it was pretty competitive. I got my first job through a headhunter mm. uh, and I used recruiters the whole time I was in New York. So that was, that was a big part of how I got my job and that kind of aligned with my values at the time, which was that if I worked really hard and, you know, it was nice to everyone and just kept going above and beyond, I would get opportunities and, yeah. and that worked. In, in Boulder, I think that's still the case, but it's, it's such a tight-knit group. Uh, you really have to, I think, one, live out here in order to get a really good gig and two, you have to just show up to a lot of events to get to know people. Mm. Um, so it's it's friendly, but I think if you're intimidated by networking events, or or if you're just not if you're just not into like socializing and kind of talking about design, advertising, marketing, whatever, mm -hmm. then it can be it can be really difficult to break into the scene and just get people to know who you are. Mm. I remember last time I was out here, which was like ten months ago. There was I was leaving like the day before the Boulder like agency. Oh, the Boulder Block Party? Yeah, the Boulder Block yeah. Party. Uh, and someone else was telling me about it. I'm like, wow, that sounds so much like so much fun. And like even just having those opportunities available to to you and you know, like you said, finding ways to network that maybe don't look like your typical net, typical mm -hmm. networking because maybe it's a smaller community and you can just go out and have a block party and right. meet a bunch of people and like have fun, listen to bands and drink and stuff like that versus like going to like an industry event you know what I mean where it, that which feels totally different I think and I would say something like an AIGA event is is usually a little more I don't want to say conservative but you know when you're going to say the boulder block party or they, we have kegs with legs out here and stuff it's like you have to show up and and then remember you also have to be professional and it's like you you can't just drink a ton and then yeah. maybe throw up in the corner and leave because <laughs> like, people will see you and I and I have personally I mean I haven't thrown up in a corner yet yeah. but you know I've forgotten oh I'm shit I'm supposed to be like meeting people yeah. or at least being really professional this isn't like me out at the bar but but there is you know there's drinks and there's right. fun people and there's food you have to learn how to balance all of that yeah. which is difficult yeah I would imagine especially for like junior talent just starting out if those lines are more blurred, it could be more difficult to navigate. Like, how am I supposed to carry myself at this thing when I'm trying to make a good impression, but everyone else is like having so much fun. For sure. And, and we're at altitude and all the alcohol, like all the beer is like 
way way higher ABV than just like Budweiser or something. Yeah. You you really have to be on your game. Yeah, I never thought about it that way. It's a good thing to keep in mind. So my follow up question to the the New York City Boulder uh, move question was. Do you ever feel like you're missing out on anything by not being in New York City and working in advertising? Well, I, m- I miss New York and, you know, there's, I mean, there's a ton of activity in New York and sure. I still have friends that live there, so I get to go back and kind of hear about what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think moving to Boulder when I moved out here, there there wasn't as much happening with the design and creative community. There were, there were some agencies, but it's exploded in the yeah. last 10 years. Yeah. So I don't personally feel like I'm missing out on anything because there's so much innovation here there's so many startups um whether whether you're interested in more like technology like we have a google office now Mm -hmm. natural foods um basically everything that's happening in business uh in some respect is happening out here in boulder and denver yeah so it it is its own scene and and i think that's something that's happened over the past five ten years is you know smaller american cities not only not only have their own sort of design and advertising scenes but i think they're just more open-minded and inclusive when it comes to art and creative people mm-hmm. so it's it's nice to see other small cities you know have that same explosion of of talent and opportunity mm-hmm. so I don't I don't feel like I'm missing a lot and if I was a young designer I don't know if I would still like I moved to New York right out of college yeah. I don't know if I would still do that like yeah. I really wanted to live there yeah. just for the New York just for being in New York City yeah but, you know, I would maybe consider other places across the country, around the world now. Yeah, I'm so glad you made that point. I tell people this all the time. And, of course, like you, I miss New York like crazy and not living there anymore. But, and I, I do encourage, like, anyone, like you, when you graduated, like, if you do have an inkling and you want to have that experience and you feel, like, pulled towards New York City or any big city, I guess, like, totally go for it. Like, I, I think that it's such, it was such a great experience for me and, and for a lot of people. But for the people who don't feel that or know that they um, want to stay somewhere where like the community is really tight and you like can go to block parties to meet mm-hmm. people, you know, and just isn't driven by this the same things that a, a big city naturally is, but they still want to work in advertising. I think there are so many more options than people really consider if you do want that that kind of lifestyle, like living in, in a smaller city. Like you said, there's just been such an explosion of of shops and, and talent and sort of embracing of creativity and all these other um, cities that I think it's it's it should open people's like horizons in terms of like what their opportunities really are when they graduate graduate it's no longer like oh I automatically have to go to New York if I want to work in advertising and make it absolutely and, and I feel old saying it but it's like the internet kind of lets yeah. you do that but living in a place like New York City would be awful if you didn't want to live there and you were you were just there because you thought it would give you opportunities yeah. uh, especially as you know more people live in New York and then decide it's not for them or life takes them elsewhere yeah. like there's just so many more small shops and big agencies opening everywhere mm-hmm. i mean people can brown people can come to boulder and colonize boulder with me and like make it <laughs> make it just like new york I'm going to, like, call you in a year and, like, get, like, annual updates on how that's going. (laughs) I have a tally going. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So we always end with the best piece of advice that you've ever been given, no matter if it relates to advertising or just life in general. Oh, wow. That's that's a really good question. I would say probably the best piece the best piece of advice I've gotten was about advertising but definitely relates to life. Mm-hmm. And I would say um, it was it was my boss here Pete, one of the owners. 
Um, I forget how he put it, but basically it was like, don't be such a fucking perfectionist. Mm. And, you know, there's, there's the notion that I think for a designer, like good enough is never good enough. Um, but I think that just applies to, you know, tweaking your design and, and being almost like navel gazing about just design as an art. And when I step back and I try not to perfect my design, but instead think more about, like I was saying, like, who's it, who's it for and what am I trying to say? Um, I find that the results are better mm. uh, as far as people connecting with what I make, which is, which is why I'm a designer. I'm not a designer to make stuff for myself. Yeah. If I was, then I think my OCD perfectionism would be awesome. But I'm, I'm in this business to try to communicate with other people. So mm. not being a perfectionist has absolutely helped me do that. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's so applicable to, I mean, any role. Of course, you're talking about it in the context of design. I was just thinking as you're talking, you know, even in strategy, there's, you know, you can work on something, you work on something. I feel like there is a ceiling in terms of like mm-hmm. marginally, like how much in terms of like the effort you're putting in and how much better it's actually getting. Like, of course, you want to like push yourself and do really awesome work. But there is a point where it's like, okay, the return on your effort <laughs> is like like very minimal. So, um, and I think you can, you can get stuck kind of spinning in your own, like you said, like it's, and it does get like navel gazy. It's like, and stepping back and thinking about, well, who is this actually for? Not even from the sense of, I know you're talking about as in terms of the audience that you're trying to reach who, you know, who's your design for, but you know, if it's something that you're creating internally, it's like, what are you, what are you trying to communicate to, you know, the meeting or the the client and stuff like that? and, And what's, not going to be just good enough for them, but what's going to really be, you know, the most effective, you know, work or output for them and just getting, getting it to that. Well, it's being a little bit humble and recognizing what, what role you play. Like design is just a small part of, you know, much, much bigger systems of business and communication yeah. and, and being here in Anthem Branding and, and having really strong leaders who have an appreciation for design, but also a strong business sense and, and really, really want to connect with lots of different businesses and learn what they're about. Yeah. I love I love driving the visual aspect of that, being involved in the design, but at the end of the day, that's, that's just one part of anyone's business. It's just one part of what we do at, at Anthem Branding. It's just one aspect of, of any agency, mm-hmm. you know, any shop. So keeping keeping that in mind, I think, helps helps make me like more grounded as a, as a designer and, and hopefully, yeah, just a a better communicator who's not super stressed out about like fixing fixing the kerning of every single letter on a layout <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, well, it's a great perspective to end on. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time. Where can people keep up with you? Yeah, so uh, I have Twitter, but I don't post. I only like things. Okay. And my Instagram has lots of pictures of me and my cat and my wife. So um, I should probably get around to posting some work up there too. So I think Instagram's probably the best. Okay, cool. Uh, well, we'll include the link um, to your Instagram. Right on. Awesome. Thank you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. Big, big thank you to Michael for all his advice and for the bag of Anthem branding swag he sent me home with. I'm going to be on the road again starting next week. I'll be in Dayton, Ohio, speaking at the Modern College of Design, which was formerly the School of Advertising Art, and then at the University of Florida right after. Guest lecturing and meeting students face-to-face is still one of my favorite things, so I am so looking forward to meeting students at both schools. Advice is so much better shared. Leave us a review on iTunes or share the podcast with a friend. And while you're at it, sign up for our weekly email. It's a small dose of advice and insight delivered Mondays. I hope you have an amazing rest of your week. I'm Natalie, and until next time, you got this.